Welcome, everyone. Uh, my name is Dan Kelly. I'm a partner with McCarter and English. I'm chair of the Federal Society Lawyers Division for Boston, and I am pleased that this is now our seventh year where the diverse and great members of the Massachusetts Bar bring Shakespeare to the stage and discuss its legal potential. Uh, I have to begin, unfortunately, with an apology, and that's an apology on behalf of Justice Breyer, who is not here, who canceled uh, just a few days ago, much to my chagrin. But he has a noble understudy, Chief Judge Mark Wolf, who is going to be our host tonight. Actually, Justice Breyer, you know, found, uh, it was, was thinking, and, and it, to the extent he ever wanted to be considered for Chief Justice, he didn't want to be caught dead at a Federal Society event. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, actually, no, he was very gracious and sends his apology. And, and the Federal Society, you know, this is right up our alley. It's a little bit different in terms of the types of work that we do, mostly debates and speeches. But please check out our website, fedsoc.org. It's our 25th year, and uh, we're great to have it uh, alive and well in Boston. Um, before I uh, turn it over to Steve, I just want to explain a little bit how this is going to work. For the first hour or so, you're going to see the staged reading where, where our esteemed actors will participate. They are not professional actors, so please uh, give them your indulgence. And uh, if you're ever in a courtroom before them, you obviously want to applaud very loudly. <laughs> After that's done, we'll invite uh, Dan Kornstein and Jan Crawford-Greenberg, who is on the tarmac at National Airport, hopefully she'll be here by then, to lead the discussion. There will be no break in between. Um, I do want to say, uh, uh, thank my wonderful firm, McCarter and English, for its sponsorship of this event, and specifically Diane Bluestein and Dottie Moore. They're my angels. They really helped in terms of putting this together. I also want to thank the Massachusetts Bar Association for its generous sponsorship of this event. And I also want to thank, finally, the wonderful staff here of the Schubert Theater. They've been very welcoming and, and uh, to us non-actors, and, and they're terrific. And the leader of them all, of course, is my great friend Steve Mailer, who's going to tell a little bit about what's exciting this summer for Shakespeare. Hi there, I'm Steve Mailer. I'm the founding artistic director of Commonwealth Shakespeare Company, which presents an annual free production of Shakespeare on the Boston Common, where, as you all know, a program of the City Performing Arts Center. And on behalf of its CEO, Joe Spaulding, our staff and our board, it's my pleasure to welcome you to the City Schubert Theater. Uh, we have a terrific evening ahead for you. Uh, this is one of the things I, I really love doing every year because who else gets to tell gentlemen like this what to do? I mean, this is not what, you know, this is, not, this is a very unusual role. Um, but uh, we've had great fun putting this together for you tonight. Um, the performance, as Dan said, runs about an hour and then there's a Q&A afterwards. It is a reading, a script and hand reading, so you'll see their music stands up here. The performers will all be seated at the upstage portion in the chairs and then they'll come downstage for the scenes, and then they'll go back up when they're not in scenes. Uh, measure for measure, for those of you who don't know, Dan will take you through a little bit of the plot, because it's actually a rather complicated and challenging play, uh, not often performed, but uh, profoundly morally complex, lots of layers of moral contradiction uh, that I think is very, very fascinating and interesting for our time, and I think in terms of the legal discussion afterwards, you'll be very intrigued by the comments by the, the esteemed panel. Um, uh, I want to thank you again for coming. I also want to thank uh, my colleagues here, Michelle Holmes and Tom Kaufman, and also the fantastic crew here at the Schubert State for all their work, and all my colleagues at the City Performing Arts Center for their help. And it's now my pleasure to introduce Chief Judge Mark Wolf.
Good evening. When you're in court, you have to respond. Good evening. Uh, this is the first, but not the last time that I will disappoint you tonight. And as you've heard, I'm not Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer. In fact, I'm sure it's a disappointment, if not a surprise to my mother, that I'm not a Supreme Court Justice at all. But uh, Justice Breyer is, I know, very sorry that complications at the end of the term preclude him from making this, which has been on his calendar for a long time. But it is a great pleasure for me, on behalf of my friends in the cast, uh, to thank the Federalist Society, and particularly its impresario, uh, Dan Kelly, who seems to be inexhaustible, uh, for bringing us all together. And I'd also like to thank Steve Mailer. Uh, you have in the cast tonight nine judges, the Attorney General of Massachusetts, and three of the most high-powered lawyers uh, anywhere. And it takes a deft hand to get us as far as we've got. <laughs> you can imagine. Uh, Steve has uh, done that. But I particularly thank Dan and Steve for choosing Measure for Measure as the Shakespeare play to be performed. About 20 years ago, uh, when the federal budget still had money in it, the judges of the First Circuit went off for a judicial conference no lawyers, just the judges, and we spent an afternoon discussing this play. The play was important uh, 20 years ago, but it's become really a profound parable of things that perplex us today. You're going to see a play that involves mechanical and merciless administration of justice. And in the past 20 years, federal judges at least have been grappling with uh, a regime in the criminal law of tightening sentencing guidelines and mandatory minimums that present us with a lot of vexing problems. And it's really extraordinary to me that hundreds of years ago, Shakespeare recognized these problems generically and explored them in such an intriguing way. Uh, you're going to get an overview, I understand, from Dan of this play, but you're going to see that my old friend, Wayne Budd is the Duke, and he's let things go law-wise in his kingdom in Vienna. So he appoints me, Angelo, to uh, become the judge. And this is the second place that I'm going to disappoint you, because you're going to see that I'm a cold-blooded Puritan. <laughs> and I sentence to die what Dennis Saylor, Claudio, aptly calls the Tom Brady figure. Claudio has, Claudio has got his girlfriend, his fiance, pregnant, and I sentence him to death. He doesn't care for that. So he sends for his sister, sort of the Elizabeth Taylor character, naturally played by my friend and colleague Nancy Gertner, uh, to come implore me uh, not to execute him. And you'll see what happens, but this play, as I've thought about it, raises some very important and provocative questions that I'll share with you very briefly. I mean, who makes laws that criminalize immorality and authorizes severe sentences for them? What are the risks when the prosecutor and the judge, or prosecution and judicial function, are essentially merged? Wonder whether we give too much weight in selecting judges to people who seem like they're going to be tough on crime 
and not enough to finding men and women who understand the common humanity between the judged and the judge. How much do we really want in personal and objective judging? And ultimately, why is this play so aptly called Measure for Measure? Now, let the play begin. Because uh, Measure for Measure, which was subtitled at the time, Knocked Up, is so rarely performed, we decided to have a, a couple of minutes to explain for you this ridiculously complicated plot so you can follow along. Oh, by the way, I wanted to welcome, I think there are about ten judges from uh, Russia who are here. We'll just understand it just as well as you will, I guarantee. So, for my Russian judges, I want to say, Shakespeare. <laughs> Okay, we're in, well, this play is set in Vienna, which you might as it doesn't matter where it is, just think of it as sort of modern-day Las Vegas, all right? For 20 years, the laws have gone to pot. There are brothels everywhere. There's licentiousness. There's Sin City, okay? The play, ha- the uh, Vienna is run by the Duke, who's played by Wayne Budd. And the Duke, who's a kind and benevolent man, has apparently allowed these laws to slide for 20 years. So he feels that he needs to do something about it. So what is his great plan? He decides to sneak away from the city, disguise himself as a monk, and come back and watch how his two deputies decide to enforce the law. Now, he has two deputies. They are Aeschylus, played by Doug Woodlock, and Angelo, played by Mark Wolfe. He doesn't go to Aeschylus, who is the wise, learned, uh, gray-haired lord who's been with him forever. He goes to the stern, officious magistrate, Angelo, and tells Angelo to fix this city and enforce the law to your best discretion. He leaves, as I said, he disguised himself as a monk. So during this play, you will sometimes see Wayne Budd without a hood, and sometimes you will see him with a hood. With the hood, it's a cunning disguise, and no one recognizes him. (laughs) As I say to my family when I'm watching 24, suspend, suspend. (laughs) But when Wayne is wearing the hood, he's the friar, disguised as the duke, disguised the friar. When he's not wearing the hood, he's the duke. Okay? Now, the plot, as as, uh, Chief Judge Wolf mentioned, is that Claudio, who's a gentleman, he's a noble, he's an upstanding guy, has got his girlfriend, Julietta, who we never see, knocked up. Okay? They are engaged to be married, but they are not married, which is against the law. The able constable, played by uh, our own Attorney General Martha Coakley, who's about as incompetent as you can imagine, I mean, her character, (laughs) arrests Claudio, and Claudio is sent to prison awaiting his uh, death sentence, okay? His sister, who is about to enter a convent, who's a very religious and devout person, uh, and a virgin, Nancy Gertner, plays... (laughs) Isabella. <laughs> Isabella is told about her brother's imminent death sentence. Isabella does not approve of the fact that her brother has been fooling around, but she decides that she will go and try to go to Angelo and plead for mercy to him. She goes to Angelo, and what does Angelo do? Angelo is surprised by the fact that he's actually attracted to this woman who's about to become a nun. And Angelo, in a feat of arbitrariness, uh, unbeknownst to to, uh, time, says, I'll let him go if you sleep with me. 
Okay. So now Isabella has a tough choice, which you'll see how it plays out. Angelo, by the way, was once engaged to Mariana, who's played by Jennifer Braceris, Braceris, but for some reason has decided that uh, she's no good for him anymore. But Mariana, believe it or not, still has affections for Angelo. That's important to know. Okay? There's a whole other layer of society that's depicted by Shakespeare during this play as well, and I'll be done in 30 seconds. That's sort of the, the, the real people, the people on the street, the non-noblemen, the people who are going to the brothels and drinking the drinks. One of them, by the way, is Lucio, Lucio, who is a dandy, you know, uh, he's played by Nat Gorton. This was typecasting. He's a romantic guy, a man about town, sort of the Brad Pitt of the cast. <laughs> he seems to be everywhere. He flirts with the, the noble people. He also deals with the people down below. And, of course, the queen of the of the lower echelons of society is Mistress Overdone, the queen, the great chief madam of the whorehouse in town, played by Patty Saris. <laughs> Patty Saris, uh, that is Mistress Overdone, has what she calls a tapster, who's the guy's in charge of pulling the taps and also taking the money from the customers. He's played by John Montgomery, uh, known to uh, tap a few himself. Uh, and uh, Bill Lee, this is my favorite part of the casting, plays uh, Mistress Overdone's John during this play. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to leave it at that. Needless to say, the, the plot gets even more complicated, but you'll understand as you go along. So, the play begins in the Hall of the Duke, in which he advises his plans to his most trusted advisors, Aeschylus and Angela. Aeschylus, my lord. The nature of our people, our city's institutions, and the terms for common justice. You're as pregnant in as art and practice hath enriched any that we can remember. Call hither, I say, bid come before us, Angela. What figure of us think you he will bear? For you must know we have with special soul elected him our absence to supply. Lent him our terror. Trust him with our love, and given his deputation all the organs of our own power. Always obedient to your grace's will, I come to know your pleasure. Angelo, in our remove, be thou at full ourself. Morality and mercy in Vienna, live in thy tongue and heart. O Aeschylus, though first in question, is thy secondary. Take thy commission. Now, good, my lord, let there be some more tests made of my metal before so noble and so great a figure be stamped upon it. No more evasion. We have with a leavened and prepared choice proceeded to you. Therefore, take your honors. Our haste from hence is of so quick condition that it prefers itself and leaves unquestioned matters of needful value. Your scope is as mine own. So to enforce or qualify the laws as to your soul seems good. Give me your hand. I'll privily away. I love the people, but do not like to stage me to their eyes. Through it, do well. I do not relish well their loud applause and Ave's vehement. Nor do I think the man of safe discretion that does affect it. Fare you well. The heavens give safety to your purposes. Lead forth and bring you back in happiness. I thank you. Fare you well. Shakespeare now switches to the street, where the effects of the Duke's departure are being immediately felt. 
How now? Which of your hips has the most profound sciatica? Well, well, there's one yonder arrested and carried to prison was worth five thousand of you all. Who's that, I pray thee? Mary, sir, that's Claudio, Signor Claudio. Claudio to prison? Tis not so. Nay, but I know tis so. I saw him arrested, saw him carried away, and which is more within these three days, his head to be chopped off. Art thou sure of this? I am too sure of it, and it is forgetting Madame Julietta, child. Believe me, this may be. He promised to meet me two hours since, and he was ever precise with promise-keeping. Away, let's go learn the truth of it. Thus, what with the war, what with the sweat, what with the gallows, and what with poverty, I am custom shrunk. How now? What's the news with you? Yonder man is carried to prison. Well, what has he done? Uh, a woman. So? What's his offense? Groping for trouts in a peculiar river. What? Is there a maid with child by him? No, but there's a woman with maid by him. You have you've not heard of the proclamation, have you? What proclamation, man? All houses in the suburbs of Vienna must be plucked down. And what shall become of those in the city? They shall stand for seed. They had gone down too, but that a wise burger put in for them. But shall all our houses of resort in the suburbs be pulled down? To the ground, mistress. Oh, here's a change indeed in the commonwealth. What shall become of me? Come, fear you not. Good counselors lack no clients. Though you change your place, you need not change your trade. I'll be your tapster still. Courage, there will be pity taken on you, you that have your, worn your eyes out almost in the service. You will be considered. What's to do here, Thomas Tapster? Let's withdraw. Here comes Signor Claudio, led by the provost to prison. Fellow, why dost thou show me thus to the world? Bear me to prison where I am committed. I do it not in evil disposition, but from Lord Angelo, by special charge. Thus can the demigod authority make us pay down for our offense by weight the words of heaven. On whom it will, it will. On whom it will not so, yet still tis just. Why, how now, Claudio? One word, good friend Lucio, a word with you. A hundred, if they'll do you any good. Thus stands it with me. Upon a true contract, I got possession of Julietta's bed. You know the lady. She is fast my wife save that we do the denunciation lack of outward order. This we came not to only for propagation of a dower remaining in the coffer of her friends, from whom we thought it meet to hide our love till time had made them for us. But it chances the stealth of our most mutual entertainment with character too gross is writ on Julia. With child, perhaps? Unhappily, even so. I pray thee, Lucio, do me this kind of service. This day my sister should the cloister enter and there receive her approbation. Acquaint her with the danger of my state. Implore her in my voice that she make friends to the strict deputy. Bid herself assay him. I'll to her. Thank you, good friend Lucio. After he departs, the duke steals away to a nearby monastery and adopts the costume of a monk. There he explains to a friar his intentions. <laughs> we have strict statutes and most fighting laws. 
the needful bits and curbs to headstrong weeds, which for this 19 years we have let slip, even like an orb-grown lion in a cave that goes not out to prey. Now, as fond fathers, having bound up the threatening twigs of birch, only to stick it in their children's sight, for terror not in use. In time the rod becomes more mocked than fear. So our decrees, dead to infliction, to themselves are dead, and liberty plucks justice by the nose. Sith was my fault to give the people scope. T'would be my tyranny to strike and gall them for what I bid them to do. For we bid this be done when evil deeds have their permissive pass, and not the punishment. Therefore, I have on Angelo imposed the office, who may, in the ambush of my name, strike home, and yet my nature, never in the fight, to do in slander. So the Duke returns to Vienna in disguise to observe how Angelo exercises his new role as governor and judge. And have you nuns no father privileges? Are not these large enough? Yes, truly. I speak not as desiring more, but rather wishing a more strict restraint upon the sisterhood, the votarists of St. Clair. Oh, peace be in this place. Who's that which calls? It is a man's voice. Gentle Isabella, turn you the key and learn his business of him. You may, I may not. You are yet unsworn. Peace and prosperity, who is that that calls? Hail, virgin, if you be, as those cheek roses, <laughs> as they, those cheek roses proclaim you are no less. Can you so stead me as bring me to the sight of Isabella, a novice in this place and the fair sister to her unhappy brother, Claudio? Why her unhappy brother, let me ask? The rather, for I now must make you know I am that Isabella and his sister. Gentle and fair, your brother kindly greets you. Not to be weary with you, he's in prison. Well, me, for what? For that which, if myself might be his judge, he should receive his punishment in thanks. He hath got his friend with child. Sir, make me not your story. It is true. I would not, though tis my familiar sin with maids to seem the lapwing and to jest tongue far from heart. Play with all virgins so. Someone with child by him? My cousin Juliet. She it is. Oh, let him marry her. This is the point. The Duke is very strangely gone from hence. Upon his place, and with full line of his authority, governs Lord Angela, a man whose blood is very snow-broad. He, to give fear to use and liberty, which have for long run by the hideous law, as mice by men, by lions, hath picked out an act under whose heavy sense your brother's life falls into forfeit. He arrests him on it, and follows close the rigor of the statute to make him an example. All hope is gone unless you have the grace by your fair prayer to soften Angelo, and that's my pith of business twixt you and your poor brother. Alas, what poor ability to me to do him good? Assay the power you have. My power? Alas, I doubt. Our doubts are traitors and make us lose the good we oft might win by fearing to attempt. Go to Lord Angelo and let him learn to know when maidens sue, men give like gods. But when they weep and kneel, all their petitions are as freely theirs as they themselves would own them. I'll see what I can do. 
Commend me to my brother. Soon at night I'll send him certain word of my success. We must not make a scarecrow of the law, setting it up to fear the birds of prey, and let it keep one shape, till custom make it their perch and not their terror. Aye, but yet let us be keen, and with rather cut a little, than fall and bruise to death. Alas, this gentleman whom I would save had a most noble father. Let but your honor know, whom I believe to be most straight in virtue, that in the working of your own affections, had time cohered with place and place with wishing, or that the resolute acting of your blood could have attained the effect of your own purpose, whether you had not some time in your life erred in the point which you now come to censor him and pulled the law down upon yourself. Tis one thing to be tempted, Aeschylus, another to fall. I not deny that the jury, passing on the prisoner's life, may in the sworn twelve have a thief or two guiltier than him they try. What's open made to justice, that justice seizes. What know the laws, that thieves do pass on thieves. Tis very pregnant. The jewel we find, we stoop and take it, because we see it. But what we do not see, we tread upon and never think of it. You may not so extenuate his offense, for I have had such faults, but rather tell me when I that censure him do so offend, let mine own judgment patent out my death, and nothing come impartial. Sir, he must die. Be it as your wisdom will. Come bring them away. If these be good people in a commonweal that do nothing but use their abuses in common houses, I know no law. Bring them away. How now, sir? What's your name and what's the matter? If it please your honor, I am the poor duke's constable and my name is Elbow. I do lean upon justice, sir, and do bring in here before your good honor two notorious benefactors. Benefactors? Well, what benefactors are they? Are they not malefactors? <laughs> if it please your honor, I know not well what they are, but precise villains they are that I am sure of and void of all profanation in the world that good Christians ought to have. This comes off well. Here's a wise officer. What are you, sir? He, sir, a tapster, sir, parcel bawd, one that serves a bad woman, whose house, sir, was, as they say, plucked down in the suburbs, and now she professes a hothouse, which I think is a very ill house, too. How you know that? My wife, sir, whom I detest before heaven and your honor. <laughs> Mary, sir, by my wife, who if she had been a woman cardinally given, might have been accused in fornication, adultery, and all uncleanliness there. By the woman's means? I, sir, by Mistress Overdone's means. But as she spit in his face, so she defied him. Sir, if it please your honor, this is not so. Prove it before these varlets here, thou honorable man, prove it. Can we hear how she misplaces? Sir, she came in great with child, and 
longing, save your honor's reverence, for stewed prunes. Sir, but we had but two in the house, which at that very distant time stood, as it were, in a fruit dish, a dish of some three pence. Uh, your honors have seen such dishes. They are not china dishes, but very, very good dishes. Go to, go to, no matter what the dish, sir. No, indeed, sir, not of a pin. You are there in the right, uh, but to the point. Uh, as I say this, Mistress Elbow, being, as I say, with child, and being great-bellied and longing, as I said, for prunes, and having but two in the dishes, I said, Master Froth here, this very man, having eaten the rest, as I said, and as I say, uh, paying for them very honestly, for as you know, Master Froth, I could not give you three pence again. All this is true. Why, very well, then. Cub, <laughs> you are a tedious fool. To the purpose, what was done to Elbow's wife that he hath cause to complain of? Come me to what was done to her. Sir, your honor cannot come to that yet. No, sir, nor I mean it not. Sir, but you shall come to it by your honor's leave, and I beseech you, look into Master Froth here. Sir, a man of fourscore pound a year whose father died on Holomus. Was not Holomus, Master Froth? All hell indeed. This will last out a night in Russia when nights are longest there. I'll take my leave and leave you to the hearing of the cause, hoping you'll find good cause to whip them all. I think no less. Good morrow to your worship. Now, sir, come on. What was done to well, uh, Elbow's wife? Once, sir, there was nothing done to her once. <laughs> I beseech you, sir, ask him what this man did to my wife. I beseech your honor, ask me. Well, sir, what did this gentleman to her? I beseech you, sir, look in this gentleman's face. Good Master Froth, look upon his honor. Tis for a good purpose. Doth your honor mark his face? Aye, sir, very well. Nay, I beseech you, mark it well. Well, I do so. Doth your honor see any harm in his face? Why, no. Well, I'll be supposed upon a book. His face is the worst thing about him. Good then. If his face be the worst thing about him, how could Master Froth do the constable's wife any harm? I would know that of your honor. He's in the right. Constable, what say you to that? First, and it like you, the house is a respected house. Next, this is a respected fellow. And his mistress is a respected woman. By this hand, sir, his wife is a more respected person than any of us all. Varlet, thou liest. Thou liest, wicked varlet. The time has yet to come that she was ever respected with man, woman, or child. Sir, she was respected with him before he married her. Which is the wiser here, justice or iniquity? Is this true? Oh, thou caitiff. O thou varlet, O thou wicked Hannibal, I respected with her before I was married to her. If ever I was respected with her or she with me, let not your worship think me the poor duke's officer. Prove this, thou wicked Hannibal, or I'll have mine action of battery on thee. If he took you a box of the ear, you might even have an action for slander. Mary, I thank your good worship for it. What's your worship's pleasure I shall do with this wicked caitiff? Truly, officer, because he hath some offenses in him that thou wouldst discover if thou couldst. Let him continue in his courses till thou knowest what they are. Mary, I thank your worship for it. 
Thou seest, thou wicked varlet, now what's come upon thee? Thou art to continue now, thou varlet, thou art to continue. So what trade are you of, sir? A tapster, a poor widow's tapster. Your mistress's name? Mistress Overdone. Has she had more than one husband? Nine, sir. Overdone by the last. Nine. <laughs> Come hither to me, Master Froth. Master Froth, I would not have you acquainted with tapsters. They will draw you, Master Froth, and you will hang them. Get you gone and let me hear no more of it. I thank you, Your Worship. For my own part, I never come into any room in a tap house, but am drawn. Well, no more of it, Master Frost. Farewell. Come you hither, Master Tapster. What's your name, Master Tapster? Pompey. What else? Bum, sir. Troth, and the bum is the greatest thing about you. So that in the beastliest sense, you are Pompey the Great. Pompey, you are partly a bard. Pompey, howsoever you color it in being a tapster, are you not? Come, tell me true. It shall be the better. Truly, sir, uh, sir, I am a poor fellow that would live. How would you live, Pompey? By being a bard? Would that be your trade, Pompey? Is it a lawful trade? If the law would allow it, sir. But the law will not allow it. Pompey, nor shall it be allowed in Vienna. Does your worship mean to geld and splay all the youth of the city? No, Pompey. Truly, sir, in my poor opinion, they will do it then. If your worship will take order for the drabs and the knaves, you need not fear the bods. Thank you, good Pompey. I advise you, let me not find you before me again upon any complaint whatsoever. No, not for dwelling where you do. If I do, Pompey, I shall beat you to your head and prove a shrewd Caesar to you. In plain dealing, Pompey, I shall have you whipped. So for the first time, Pompey, fare you well. I thank your worship for your good counsel, but I shall follow it as flesh and fortune shall determine. It grieves me for the death of Claudio, but there's no remedy. Lord Angelo is severe. It is but needful. Mercy is not itself that oft looks so. Pardon is still the nurse of second woe, yet poor Claudia. There is no remedy. Come, sir. Here is the sister of the man condemned, desires access to you. Had thee a sister? Ah, my good lord, a very virtuous maid, and to be surely of a sisterhood, if not already. Well, let her be admitted. God save your honor. Stay a little while. You're welcome. What's your will? I am a woeful suitor to your honor. Please let your honor hear me. Well, what's your suit? There is a vice that most I do abhor, and most desire should meet the blow of justice, for which I would not plead, but that I must. For which I must not plead, but that I am at war twixt will and will not. Well, the matter... I have a brother is condemned to die. I do beseech you, let it be his fault and not my brother. Heaven give thee moving graces. Condemn the fault and not the actor of it? Why, every fault's condemned ere it be done. Mine were the very cipher of a function to find the faults whose fine stands in records and let go by the actor. Oh, just but severe law. I had a brother then. Heaven keep your honor. Give it not or so. 
to him again and treat him. Kneel down before him. Hang upon his gown. You are too cold. Must he to need, him, I say. Must he needs die? Maiden, no remedy. Yes, I do think that you might pardon him, and neither heaven nor man grieve at the mercy. He sentenced. Tis too late. You are too cold. Too late, why no? I either do speak a word may call it back again. Now believe this, no ceremony that too great one longs, not the king's crown nor the deputed sword, the marshal's truncheon nor the judge's robe, become them with one half so good a grace as mercy does. If he had been as you, and you as him, you would have slipped like him, but he, like you, would not have been so stern. Your brother is a forfeit of the law, and you but waste your words. It is the law, not I, condemn your brother. Were he my kinsman, brother, or my son, it should be thus with him. He must die tomorrow. Tomorrow? Oh, that sudden, spare him, spare him. He's not prepared for death. Even for our kitchens we kill the fowl of season. Shall we serve heaven with less respect than we do minister to our gross selves? Good, good, my lord, bethink you. Who is it that hath died for this offense? There's many that have committed it. I well said. The law hath not been dead, though it has slept. Those many had not dared to do evil, if first that did the edict infringe had answered for his deed. Now tis awake, takes note of what is done, and like a prophet looks in a glass that shows what future evils either new or by remissness new conceived, and so in progress to be hatched and born, are now to have no successive degrees, but, ere they live, to end. Yet show some pity. I show it most of all when I show justice, for then I pity those I do not know, which a dismissed offense would after God, and do him right that answering one foul wrong lives not to act another. Be satisfied. Your brother dies tomorrow. Be content. So you must be the first that gives this sentence, and he that suffers. Oh, it is excellent to have a giant's strength, but it is tyrannous to use it like a giant. That's well said. Pray heaven she win him. <laughs> Why do you say this to me? Because authority, though it airs like others, hath yet a kind of medicine in itself that skins the, top, the vice off the top. Go to your bosom, knock there, and ask your heart what it doth know that like my brother's fault, if it confess a natural guiltiness such as is his, let it not sound a thought upon your tongue against my brother's life. She speaks in his such sense that my sense breeds with it. Fare you well. Gentle, my lord, turn back. I will bethink me. Come again tomorrow. Hark how I'll bribe you. Good, my lord, turn back. How bribe me? I with such gifts that heaven shall share with you. You had marred all else. Not with fond shekels of the tested gold or stones whose rates are either rich or poor as fancy values them, but with true prayers that shall be up in heaven and enter there ere sunrise. Prayers from preserved souls from fasting maids whose mind are dedicate to nothing temporal. Well, come to me tomorrow. Go to, tis well, away. Heaven keep your honor safe. Amen.
For I am that way going to temptation where prayers cross. From thee, even from thy virtue. What's this? What's this? Is this her fault or mine? The tempter or the tempted? Who sins most? Huh. Can it be that modesty may more portray our sense than woman's lightness? Having waste ground enough, shall we desire to raise the sanctuary and pitch our evils there? Oh, fie, fie, fie. What dost thou, what art thou, Angelo? Dost thou desire her foully for those things that make her good? Oh, let her brother live. Thieves for their robbery have authority when judges steal themselves. Most dangerous is that temptation that doth goad us on to sin and loving virtue. Never could the strumpet, with all her double vigor, art, and nature, once stir my temper. But this virtuous maid subdues me quite. Ever till now, when men were fond, I smiled and wondered how. The scene moves to the next day. When I would pray and think, I think and pray to several subjects. Heaven hath my empty words, while my invention, hearing not my tongue, anchors on Isabel. How now, fair maid? I am come to know your pleasure. That you might know it would much better please me than to demand what tis. Your brother cannot live. Even so, heaven keep your honor. Answer to this. I now, the voice of the recorded law, pronounce a sentence on your brother's life. Might there not be a charity in sin to save this brother's life? Please you to do it. I'll take it as a peril to my soul. It's no sin at all but charity. Pleased you to do it at peril of your soul were equal poise of sin in charity. That I do beg his life. If it be a sin, heaven let me bear it. You granting of my suit, if that be sin, I'll make it in my mourn prayer to have it added to the faults of mine and nothing of your answer. Nay, but hear me. Your sense pursues not mine. Either you are ignorant or seem so craftily, and that's not good. I'll speak more gross. Your brother is to die. You, his sister, finding yourself desired of such a person whose credit with the judge or own great place could fetch your brother from the manacles of the all-binding law and that there were no earthly means to save him, but that either you must lay down the treasures of your body to this supposed or else let him suffer. What would you do? As much for my poor brother as myself. That is, were I under the terms of death, the impression of king lips I'd wear as rubies, and strip myself to death as to a bed that longing have been sick for, ere I'd yield up my body to shame. Then must your brother die. And toward the cheaper way, better it were a brother died at once, than that a sister by redeeming him should die forever. Were you not then as cruel as the sentence that you've slandered so? Ignomy in ransom and free pardon are of two houses. Lawful mercy is nothing kin to foul redemption. Plainly conceive, I love you. (laughs) 
<laughs> My brother did love Juliet. And you tell me that he shall die for it? He shall not, Isabel, if you give me love. I know your virtue has <laughs> I know your virtue hath a license in it which seems a little fouler than it is to pluck on others. Believe me, on mine honor, my words express my purpose. Ha! Little honor to be much believed and most pernicious purpose. Seeming, seeming, I will proclaim the Angelo. Look for it. Sign me a present pardon for my brother, or with an outstretched throat, I will tell the world aloud what man thou art. Who will believe thee, Isabel? My unsoiled name, the austereness of my life, my vouch against you, my place in the state, will so your accusation overweigh that you shall stifle in your own report and smell of calumny. Answer me tomorrow. Or by the affection that now guides me most, I'll prove a tyrant to him. As for you, say what you can. My false outweighs your truth. To whom shall I complain? Did I tell this who would believe me? O oh, perilous mouths that bear in them one and the self-same tongue, either of condemnation or of proof, bidding the law makes curtsy to their will hooking both right and wrong to the appetite to follow as it draws. I'll tell my brother, though he hath fallen by prompture of the blood, yet hath he in him such a mind of honor that had he twenty heads to tender down on twenty bloody blocks, he'd yield them up before his sister should her body stoop to such abhorrent pollution. I'll tell him yet of Angelo's request and fit his mind to death for his soul's rest. We go now to the prison where the Duke in disguise visits the prisoner Claudio. So then, do you have hope of pardon from Lord Angelo? The miserable have no other medicine but only hope. I've hoped to live and am prepared to die. What hope? What hope? Peace here, grace and good company. Who's there? Come in. The wish deserves a welcome. Dear sir, ere long, I'll visit you again. Most holy sir, I thank you. My business is a word or two with Claudio. And very welcome. Look, senor, here's your sister. Provost, a word with you. As many as you may please. Please. Bring me to hear them speak where I may be concealed. Now, sister, what's the comfort? Why, uh, as all good comforts are, most good, most good indeed. Lord Angelo, having affairs to heaven, intends you for his swift ambassador, for you shall be an everlasting leisure. Therefore, your best appointment make with speed. Tomorrow you set on. Is there no remedy? None but such remedy as to save a heart, to, to save a head, to cleave a heart in twain. But is there any? This outward sainted deputy is yet a devil. His filth within being cast, he would appear upon the deepest hell. The prinzy Angelo? Oh, tis the cunning livery of hell, the damnedest body to invest and cover in prenzy guards. Dost thou think, Claudio, if I would yield him my virginity, thou mightst be freed? Oh! <laughs> Heaven! 
heavens, it cannot be. Yes. Yes, he would give it thee from this rank offense, so to offend him still. This might's the time that I should do what I abhor to name, or else thou diest tomorrow. Thou shalt not do it? <laughs> oh, worth of my life! I throw it down for your deliverance as frankly as a pin. Thanks, dear Isabel. Be ready, Claudio, for your death tomorrow. Yes. Has he affections in him that thus can make him bite the law by the nose when he would force it? Sure, it is no sin, or of the deadly seven, it is the least. Which, <clears throat> which is the least? If it were damnable, he being so wise, why would he for the momentary trick be perturbably fined? Oh, Isabel. What says my brother? Death is a fearful thing. And shamed life a hateful. Ay, but to die and go we know not where, to lie in cold obstruction and to rot, the sensible warm motion to become a kneaded clod, and the delighted spirit to bathe in fiery floods, or to reside in thrilling region of thick-ribbed ice, the weariest and most loathed worldly life that age, ache, penury, and imprisonment can lay on nature is a paradise to what we fear of death. Alas, alas. Sweet sister, let me live. What sin you do to save a brother's life, nature dispenses with the deed so far that it becomes a virtue. Oh, you beast! You faithless coward! Oh, dishonest wretch! Wilt thou be made a man out of my vice? Is it not a kind of insect to take life from thine own sister's shame? I'll pray a thousand prayers for thy death. Not a word to save thee. Nay, hear me, Isabel. Oh, fie, fie, fie. Thy sin's accidental, not accidental, but a trade. Mercy to thee would prove itself a bawd. Tis best that thou diest quickly. Oh, hear me, Isabella. Vouchsafe a word, young sister, but one word with you. Okay, here's where it gets complicated. The Duke concocts a plan. He instructs Isabella... Nancy Gertner, to agree to sleep with Angelo in exchange for a pardon for her brother. Isabella is to tell Angelo that she will meet him at night, in the dark, and briefly, because of her modesty. In her place, the Duke will arrange for Mariana, Jennifer Braceris, Angelo's ex-fiancée, to take her place. While exiting the prison, the Duke encounters Constable Elbill and Pompey, who is her prisoner, for the second time. What offense hath this man made you, sir? Mary, sir, he hath offended the law. And, sir, we take him to be a thief, too. For we have found upon him, sir, a strange picklock, which we have sent to the deputy. Fie, sirrah, bod. A wicked bard, the evil that thou causest to be done, that is thy means to live. Go, men! Go, men! He must be for the deputy, sir. He has given him warning. The deputy cannot abide a whoremaster. If he be a whoremonger and comes before him, he were as good go a mile on his errand. How now, noble Pompey? What hath the wheels of Caesar? Art thou led in triumph? How doth my dear morsel thy mistress? Procure she still? Ha! Uh, troth, sir, she has 
uh, eaten up all her beef, and she is herself in the tub. Come your way, sir, come. Go to kennel, Pompey, go. What news, friar, of the duke? I know none. Can you tell me of any? It was a mad, fantastical trick of him to steal from the state and usurp the beggary he was never born to. Lord Angelo dukes it well in his absence. He puts transgression to it. He does well in it. A little more lenity to lechery would do no harm in him. Something too crabbed that way, friar. It is too general a vice, and severity must cure it. Yes, in good sooth, the vice is of a great kindred. It is well allied. But it is impossible to extirp it quite, friar, till eating and drinking be put down. They say this Angelo was not made by man and woman after this downright way of creation. Is it true, think you? Why, what a ruthless thing is this in him for a, the rebellion of a codpiece to take away the life of a man. Would the duke that is absent have done this? Ere he would have hanged a man for getting a hundred bastards, he would have paid for the nursing a thousand. He had some feeling of the sport. He, would, he knew the service, and that instructed him to mercy. I never heard the absent duke much detected for women. He was not inclined in that way. Oh, sir, you are deceived. Tis not possible. Tis not possible. Who, not the duke? Yes, you beggar of fifty. And his use was to put a ducat in her clack dish. The duke had crotchets in him. He would be drunk, too. And that, let me inform you. You do him wrong, surely. Sir, I was an inward of his. I can hardly believe that, since you know not what of you speak. Farewell, good friar. I prithee pray for me. The duke, I say to thee again, would eat mutton on Fridays. He's not past it yet, and I say to thee, he would mouth with a beggar, though she smelt brown bread and garlic. Say that I said so. Farewell. No might nor greatness in mortality can censure scape. Back wounding calumny, the whitest virtue strikes. What king so strong? can tie the gall up in the slanderous tongue. The duke, disguised as the friar, arranges a meeting between Mariana, remember she's Angelo's spurned fiancée, and Isabella. The duke asks, begs Isabella to get Mariana to agree to the plan, which, as you recall, is disguising herself as Isabella, going in the dark and sleeping with Angelo when he doesn't know it. Welcome. Welcome. How agreed. She'll take the enterprise upon her father, if you advise it. It is not only my consent, it is my entreaty, too. Little have you to say, when you depart from him, but soft and low, remember now, my brother. Fear me not. Nor, gentle daughter, fear you not at all. He is your husband on a pre-contract. To bring you thus together, tis no sin, sit that the justice of your title to him doth flourish the deceit. Come, let us go. Our corns to reap, for yet our tithes to sow. Okay, the plan, believe it or not, goes perfectly. Angelo sleeps with Mariana, thinking she is Isabella. But the duke, disguised as the friar, learns from the provost that Angelo still intends to proceed with the execution of Claudia. The duke then conspires with the provost and Pompey, who is now an executioner, 
to deliver to Angelo the head of a criminal in place of Claudio. This criminal happens to have the same hair and beard as Claudio. However, even that goes awry, as you'll see. Sir, bring Barnadine hither. Master Barnadine, you must rise and be hanged, Master Barnadine. What ho, Barnadine? A pox your throat. Who makes that noise there? What are you? Your friend, sir, the hangman. You must be so good, sir, to rise and be put to death. Away, you rogue, away. I am sleepy. Tell him he must awake, and that quickly, too. Pray, Master Barnadine, awake till you are executed and sleep afterwards. <laughs> Go into him and fetch him out. He is coming, sir. He is coming. I hear his straw rustle. Is the axe upon the block, Sirrah? Uh, very ready, sir. How now, Abhorson? What's the news with you? Truly, sir, I would desire you to clap into your prayers. For look you, the warrants come. You rogue, I have been drinking all night. I am not fitted for it. Oh, the better, sir, for he that drinks all night and is hanged betimes in the morning may sleep the sounder all the next day. <laughs> look you, sir, here comes your ghostly father. Do we jest now, think you? Sir... Induced by my charity and hearing how hastily you are to depart, I have come to advise you, comfort you, and pray with you. Friar, not I. I have been drinking hard all night, and I will have more time to prepare me, or they shall beat me out my brain to billets. I will not consent to die this day, that sir. Oh, sir, you must, and therefore I beseech you, look forward to the journey on which you shall go. I swear, I will not die today for any man's persuasion. Unfit to live or die, oh gravel heart, after him, fellow, bring him back. Now, sir, how do you find a prisoner? A creature unprepared, unmeet for death, and to transport him in the mine he is would be damnable. Here in the prison, father, there died this morning of a cruel fever, one ragazine a most notorious pirate. A man of Claudio's years, his beard and head, just of his color. What if we do omit this reprobate uh, till he were well inclined and satisfy the deputy with the visage of Ragozine, more like to Claudio? Oh, tis an accident that heaven provides. Dispatch it presently. The hour draws on prefixed to Angelo. See to it that this is done in according to command while I persuade this rude wretch willingly to die. This shall be done, good father, presently. But Barnadine must die this afternoon. And how shall we continue Claudio to save me from the danger that might come if he were known to be alive? Let this be done. Put them in separate holes, Barnadine and Claudio, ere twice the sun hath made his journey greeting to the undergeneration you shall find your safety manifested. I am your free dependent. Quick, dispatch, and send the head to Angelo. Once formed, we shall proceed with Angelo. Peace, ho, be here. The tongue of Isabel, she's come to know if yet her brother's pardon be come hither. 
But I will keep her ignorant of her good to make her heavenly comforts of despair when it is least expected. Oh, by your leave. Good morning to you, fair and gracious daughter. The better given me by so holy a man hath yet the deputy sent to my brother's pardon. He hath released him, Isabel, from the world. His head is off and sent to answer. Nay, but it is not so. It is no other. Show your wisdom, daughter, in your close patience. I will to him and pluck out his eyes. You shall not be admitted to his sight. Unhappy Claudio, wretched Isabel, injurious world, most damned Angelo. This not hurt him nor profit you a jot. Forbear it, therefore. Give your cause to heaven. Mark what I say. You shall find by, by every syllable a faithful verity. The duke comes home tomorrow. Nay, dry your eyes. One of our convent and his confessor gives me this instance. Already he hath carried notice to Aeschylus and Angelo, who do prepare to meet him at the gates, there to give up their power. If you can, pace your wisdom, and you shall have your bosom on this wretch. Grace of the duke, revenge to your heart and general honor. I am directed by you. Angelo has delivered the head of Claudio, which is really the head of the dead pirate, Ragazine. Yes, this is actually in the script. And learns that the Duke is returning. All are summoned to the city gate for the return of the Duke. My very worthy cousin, fairly met. Our old and faithful friend. Excuse me, you're not the prior in this scene. <laughs> you have to be flexible. <laughs> My very worthy cousin, fairly met, our old and faithful friend, we are glad to see you. Happy return be to your royal grace, and many hearty thankings to you both. We have made inquiry of you, and we hear such goodness of your justice, that our soul cannot but yield forth to public thanks for running more requital. Justice, O royal duke, fail your regard upon a wronged, I would have fain said, a maid. O oh, worthy prince, dishonor not your eye by throwing it on any other object till you have heard me in my true complaint and given me justice, 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 justice. Relate your wrongs. In what? By whom? Be brief. Here is Lord Angelo who shall give you justice. Reveal yourself to him. My lord, her wits I fear me are not firm. She hath been a suitor to me for her brother. Cut off by course of justice. By course of justice? And she will speak most bitterly and strange. Most strange, but yet most truly will I speak. That Angelo's forsworn, is it not strange? That Angelo's a murderer, is it not strange? That Angelo is an adulterous thief, an hypocrite, a virgin violator, is not strange and strange? Nay, it is ten times strange. Isabella recounts her story, but the Duke says he doesn't believe her and orders her away to prison. The Duke asks whether anyone can corroborate her story, and Isabella names the friar, who, as you know, is really the Duke. As Isabella is taken away, Mariana steps forward to corroborate the story with a veil, shielding her face. She approaches the Duke. Let you show your face and after speak. Pardon, my lord. I will not show my face until my husband bid me. What? Are you married? My lord, I do confess. I ne'er was married, and I confess besides, I am no maid. 
I have known my husband, yet my husband knows not that he ever knew me. He was drunk then, my lord. It can be no better. For the benefit of silence. <laughs> For the benefit of silence, were you so too? Now I come to my lord. She that accuses him of fornication, in selfsame manner, doth accuse my husband, and charges him, my lord, with such a time, when all deposed, I had him in my arms, with all the effect of love. Charges she more than me? Not that I know. No, you say your husband. Why, just, my lord, and that is Angelo, who thinks he knows that he ne'er knew my body, but knows he thinks that he knew Isabel's. This is a strange abuse. Let's see thy face. My husband bids me. Now I will unmask. This is the face, thou cruel Angelo, which once thou sworest was worth the looking on. This is the hand which, with a vowed contract, was fast be locked in mine. This is the body that took away the match from Isabel and did supply thee at thy garden house in her imagined person. Know you this woman? Carnally, she says. <laughs> Sir, no more from you. Enough, my lord. My lord, I must confess, I know this woman. Noble prince, I am a fiance this man's wife, as strongly as words could make up vows. And, my good lord, but Tuesday last, in thy garden house, he knew me as a wife. I did smile till now. Now, good my lord, give me the scope of justice. My patience here is touched. I do perceive these poor, informal women are no more but instruments of some more mightier member that sets them on. Let me have way, my lord, to find this practice out. I, with my heart, and punish them to your height of pleasure. I, for a while, will leave you, but stir not till you have well determined upon these slanderers. My lord will do it thoroughly. Call that same Isabel here once again. I would speak with her. My lord, here comes the rascal I spoke of, here, with the provost. In very good times, speak not you to him till we speak to you. Um. Come, sir. Did you set these women on to slander Lord Angelo? They have confessed you did. Tis false. How? How know you that? Respect to your great place, and let the devil be sometime honored for his burning throne. Where is the Duke? The Duke's in us, and we will hear you speak, but look that you speak justly. Boldly, at least, O oh, poor souls. Come you to seek the lamb here of the fox? Good night to your redress. Is the Duke gone? Then is your cause gone, too. The Duke's unjust, thus to retort your manifest appeal, and put your trial in the villain's mouth, which you come here to accuse. Why, thou unreverend and unhallowed friar, isn't it enough that you've suborned these women to accuse this worthy man, but in foul mouth and in the witness of his, of his proper ear, to call him a villain and then to glance from him to call the duke himself, to tax him with injustice, slander to the state, away with him to prison? What can you vouch against him, Signor Lucio? Is this the man you did tell us of? Aye, and do you remember what you said to the duke? Most notedly, sir. Do you so, sir? And was the Duke a fleshmonger, a fool, and a coward, as you then reported him to be? 
You must, sir, change places with me ere you make that my report. You indeed spoke so of him, and much more, much worse. Oh, thou damnable fellow, did not I pluck thee by the nose for thy speeches? I protest, I love the Duke as I love myself. Hark how the... Hark how the villain would close now after his treasonable abuses. Such a fellow should not be talked to with all. Away with him to prison. Where is the provost? Take him to prison. Lay bolts upon him. Let him speak no more. Stay, sir. Stay a while. What? You resist? Help him, Lucio. Come, sir. Come, sir. Come, sir. Oh, sir, why, you bald-pated lying rascal. You must be hooded, must you? Show your knave's visage. With a pox to you, show your sheep-biting face, and be hanged an hour. Will it not off? Oh. <laughs> Thou art the first knave that ever made a duke. Sneak that away, sir, for the fire in you must have a word anon. Lay hold on him. Lay hold on him. This may prove worse than hanging. <laughs> Sir, by your leave, hast thou a word, or wit, or impotence, that yet can do thy office? If thou hast, rely upon it till my tale be heard, and hold no longer up. Oh, my dread lord, I should be guiltier than my guiltiness, to think I can be undiscernible when I perceive your grace, like power divine hath looked upon my passes, then, good prince, no longer session upon my shame, but let my trial be mine own confession. Immediate sentence and then sequent death is all the grace I beg. Come hither, Mariana. Say, was thou ever contracted to this woman? I was, my lord. Go, take her, and marry her instantly. Angelo and Mariana led off by the provost to be married by a nearby friar. <laughs> My lord, I am more amazed at his dishonor than at the strangeness. Come hither, Isabel. Your friar is now your prince, as I was then advertising and holy to your business, not changing heart with habit. I am still attorneyed at your service. Oh, give me pardon that I, your vassal, have employed and pained your unknown sovereignty. You are pardoned, Isabel. And now, dear maid, be you as free to us. Your brother's death, I know, sits at your heart. And you may marvel why I obscured myself, laboring to serve, save his life, and would not rather make rash remonstrance of my hidden power than let him be so lost. Oh, most kind maid, it was the swift celerity of his death which I did think would slower foot came on that framed my purpose. But peace be with him. That life is better life, past fearing death, than that which lives to fear. Make it your comfort, so happy is your brother. I do, my lord. <clears throat> For this new married man approaching here, whose salt imagination yet hath wronged your well-defended honor, you must pardon for Mariana's sake. But, as he adjudged your brother, being criminal in double violation of sacred chastity and of pre promise breach, 
thereon dependent for your brother's life, the very mercy of the law cries out, most audible, even from his proper tongue, and Angelo for Claudio, death for death. Haste still pays haste, and leisure answers leisure. Like doth quit like, and measure still for measure. We do condemn thee to the very block where Claudio stooped to death and would like haste. Away with him! Oh, my most gracious Lord, I hope you will not mock me with a husband. It is your husband mocked you with a husband, consenting to the safeguard of your honor. I thought your marriage fit, else imputation for that he knew you might reproach your life and choke your good to come. For his possessions, although by confiscation they are ours, we do in state and whittle you withal to buy you a better husband. Oh, my dear Lord, I crave no other, nor no better man. Gentle, my liege. You do but lose your labor. <laughs> you lose your labor. Away with him to death. Oh, my good Lord, sweet Isabel, take my part. Lend me your knees, and all my life to come, I'll lend you all my life to do you service. Against all sense you do importune her. Should she kneel down in mercy of this fact, her brother's ghost, his paid bed would break, and take her hence in horror. Isabel, sweet Isabel, do yet kneel by me. Hold up your hand, say nothing, I'll speak all. They say best men are molded out of faults, and for the most become much more the better. For being a little bad, so may my husband. Oh, Isabel, will you not lend a knee? He dies for Claudio's death. Most bounteous sir, look, if it please you, on this man condemned, as if my brother lived, I partly think a due sincerity governed his deeds, till he did not look on me, since it is so let him not die. My brother had but justice, in that he did the thing for which he died, for Angelo his act did not o'ertake his bad intent, and must be buried but as an intent that perished by the way. Thoughts are no subjects, intents, but merely thoughts. I'm sorry one so learned and so wise as you, Lord Angelo, have still appeared, should slip so grossly, both in the heat of blood and lack of tempered judgment afterward. I am sorry that such sorrow I procure, and so deep sticks it in my penitent heart that I crave death more willingly than mercy. Tis my deserving, and I do entreat it. Having seen Isabella's willingness to show mercy to Angela, the Duke reveals that her brother Claudio is indeed alive and well. <laughs> if he be like your brother, for his sake is he pardoned. And for your lovely sake, give me your hand and say, will you be mine? He is my brother, too. What better time for that? By this, Lord Angelo perceives he's safe. Methinks I see a quickening in his eye. Well, Angelo, your evil quits you well. Look that you love your wife, her worth worth yours. I find an apt remission in myself. 
And yet, here's one in place I cannot pardon. You, Sirrah, that knew me for a fool, a coward, one of all luxury, an ass, a madman. Wherein have I so deserved of you that you extol me thus? Faith, my lord, I spoke it but according to the trick. If you will hang me for it, you may, but I had rather it would please you I might be whipped. Whipped? <laughs> whipped first, sir, and then hanged. Take him to prison. See our pleasure herein executed. Dear Isabel, I have a motion which imparts your good, whereto, if you'll a willing ear incline, what's mine is yours, but what's yours is mine. Dan Kornstein come up and we'll start the discussion. Is Jan Crawford Greenberg here? Oh, she made it. Wonderful. Come on out, Jan. 